own screenplay nominee podcast where we talk about films that were solely nominated for an Oscar in the writing categories. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson, and today we have Roberto Ortiz. Welcome to the show, uh, my man. How are you doing today? Uh, thank you for having me. I'm doing real good. Really good. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And for the record, uh, we should also say before we go any further into the show, as of today, we're recording on November uh, 17th at the moment. I was not able to, on the last episode, I wasn't able to talk about any of the, you know, the SAG strike ending because literally I was on vacation and the episode I had recorded previously had been done month about a month or two ahead of time uh, since I was going to be going on vacation in Hawaii. I'm back. So just real quick, we could just talk about the SAG after strike um, about it being for now over with an asterisk because they're still, you know, looking over the agreement and voting on whether or not this deal will be uh, what we go with for SAG with the AMPTP. So yeah, any any quick uh, comments you want to make about that, Roberto? Uh, I'm just hoping, you know, just hoping they get what they want, and uh, I just want this all to be over, so uh, you know that they can j- just get a fair deal. Is all I just it's just important. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is. And now, you know, and hopefully we we're you know. As I said this before on various episodes, and I'll say it again, actors and writers are especially important uh, within the industry because they're the backbones of what makes these CEO and exec, you know, these executives within Hollywood money. Um, you know, it, it, there's no way I don't I don't know about you, but I don't know how you could market something like the color purple, let's say, or the Iron Claw, or you know, let's say Aquaman two, or any of these like bigger budgeted studio movies, well, Iron Claws from A24, but you, you get my drift. It, you know, it's a big, heavy ensemble film. I don't know how you can market these kind of movies without your actors and your writers there on the, the press tours. So, yeah. So hopefully we uh, get a fair deal out of this. Um, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, uh, we... Uh, we just want to say congrats on getting a tentative agreement. Let's let's see what happens. So, uh, but yeah, so anyways, yeah, so that's pretty much all I wanted to say about that. Uh, I was going to mention that on the last week's episode, but like I said, it was recorded ahead of time and, you know, we were not aware when the episode was going to go up, whether or not the strike was going to be over. So that's that. So before we dive into our episode, I have some questions to ask you, Roberto. Yeah. Would you uh, would you care to explain to our audience what exactly it is you do for a living or what you've been doing for the last month or so? Uh, like what I do, like on social media or? Well, just, you know, do, like, what, what you know, do, you know, what's your job uh, per se? Are you like a film critic or? Yeah, uh, I, 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 I guess I would consider myself that I try to see every movie possible and write about it. I post most of my reviews on Instagram and uh, Letterboxd and you know, I, I just love movies. It's my nice. passion. I it, It's just an awesome thing. And, awesome. I, and I, I think it's important that you have fun while uh, writing. And that it's always the best part. Yeah, if you don't have fun writing or yeah. talking about movies, then I have a feeling you're going to make it a pretty boring job or yeah. a, a chore to get through for sure. Uh, so you got to at least put some spice into it for sure. Yeah. So, you know, um, even, yeah, even movies that I don't like, I always make it at least i always try to my best to show the good things about the movie that worked and then what didn't mm-hmm. work because i don't want to write a review saying oh this movie sucks altogether don't watch it no because every movie no matter how bad it is there's always charm and i always try to put, uh, shine a light on that yeah there's a lot of effort that goes into making a movie uh i'm yeah the same thing with me though i i'm very much like even if it's unless if it's something to where it's like wasted my time you know like creatively and there's like a huge budget attached to it then it's like yeah, I think I have a I have a little bit of a right to to step on it uh, to you know look a gift horse in the mouth and you know kick mud in their face at times, but I try not to for the most part because there's also a lot of like smaller independent films that are trying to get uh, off the ground and are actually trying to become something. So yeah, that was so that was my first question. The other question I always ask my guests. It's always tough to ask someone what their favorite film is. So I might as well ask, what is your favorite genre of film? Uh, 
probably drama, I would say. Okay. Well, what I really like is is if you put like a person who's known for comedy and you put them in a drama, that always attracts me. That is, uh, for example, like Steve Carell. If you put him in drama, I will always watch that. I just love drama because it's always a very uh, an emotional and uh, it, it re- you really see something deeper when you watch it, especially uh, character studies. That, those ones are, I think, are always the best. Yeah, it, it, the other actor when you when you brought up Steve Carell and you said you know you love act, comedic actors turn dramatic work. Uh, I always think of uh, Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Oh Even my god! He's like the, you know he's like the go-to answer for a lot of people. But yeah, Steve Carell, yeah, he's done some good dramas. Um, the the biggest one actually came to my mind was Foxcatcher. That is actually. Um, uh, hold on. Uh, I have the uh, poster for it. Oh, you got the poster. Nice. Awesome. It's top five of one of my favorite movies of all time. I loved that movie to death. It is. I consider it one of the great masterpieces of cinema. I don't know why. It's just when I watched it, I fell in love with the movie. It everything just worked for me nice yeah mm-hmm. it's a shame it, well i mean i'm don't get me wrong i'm glad it got the oscar nominations it got but if it had been a lone screenplay nominee it could have potentially been a film that we could have easily discussed on the show <laughs> um but uh yeah i i but i i'm pretty sure i discussed a little bit about the oscar prospects of that with the nightcrawler episode i did a while back so if you're interested in you know check out our discussion for that we <laughs> talked briefly upon uh our Foxcatcher analysis on it. But anyway, so we're not here for that. We're here to talk about a film that you have selected, Election, which was a film from 1999. This won't be a beat-by-beat bulletin presentation like you hear on other channels, but we will be discussing major spoilers for our you know, talk, so to speak. If you haven't seen the film yet and want to hear our full thoughts on it, watch the film and then come back to hear us talk about it. So in 1996, producers Albert Berger and Ron Yerks, uh, Yerksa, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. I could be wrong. Uh, sent to Alexander Payne an unpublished manuscript by Tom Parada uh, called Election. At first, Alexander was uninterested in having this to be his next film he wanted to make after, uh, what was the film called? Uh... It was on the tip of my tongue. What was the film he had done? I'm looking through his filmography real quick. Citizen Ruth. That's what it was. So it was so uh, at first. So at first, Alexander was uninterested in having this be in his next film to make after Citizen Ruth until he read the manuscript and was intrigued by the idea of using multiple point of views and multiple voiceovers. Filming for the film began on fall of 1997 in Omaha uh, metro area with the high school sequences shot at pavilion la vista senior high school like many of alexander's films he also used non-professional actors to be part of the shoot and managed to get uh them their you know big break in hollywood like chris klein who would go on to be a part of the american pie series um i haven't seen the american pie series and nah, I, they're probably not my thing yeah um, but I, I i but i know plenty of people who have so yeah, so that you know that Chris Chris Klein would, you know, this was sort of his like big out what was it breakout role I should say. So, uh, after spending over a year in post production, Election was released in theaters on April twenty third, nineteen ninety nine, and was unfortunately a box office disappointment, making an estimated seventeen point two million dollars on a production budget of ranging between eight point five to twenty five million. Um, I'd assuming. I, I'm assuming that even if this were $8.5 million, you'd have to, you know, two point, uh, what was it? 2.5 times your production budget because you're covering the, uh, you're not only breaking even, but you're also covering some of the marketing costs as well. So the film did receive critical acclaim with critics and audiences though, and ended up with a lone adapted screenplay nomination for Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor it also received the Golden Globe nomination for Reese Witherspoon in the Lead Actress Comedy Musical category and even won the Writers Guild of America Award for Adapted Screenplay over Oscar-nominated films like The Cider House Rules, which would go on to win the Academy Award, The Insider, and The Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, I believe October Sky was the fifth nominee at the Writers Guild of America, if I'm not mistaken. Holy it hell. also won... Yeah, uh, it also won three Independent Spirit Awards for Best uh, Feature, Director, and Screenplay. As of now, I should say as of this recording, 
there's a sequel to the book to the book election that's called Tracy Flick Can't Win. It was written by Tom Parada and published in uh, t- 2022, last year actually. Oh shit! Uh, the last time I checked, it's in the process of possibly being made for Paramount Plus with Alexander Payne and Reese Witherspoon returning. But for all we know, maybe Paramount Pictures just says axe the project, sell it off, you know, for fire insurance, like Warner Brothers has been doing <laughs> with their projects. So we just we may never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So interesting so while i was watching this i was interested in knowing a couple things now that we're getting into our movie discussion you know section of the film i wanted to ask what was your uh reasoning for picking this and i assume you've you've already seen this movie before am i correct in saying that (laughs) yes of course (laughs) okay so yeah so i i'm curious to know what what was your reasoning in picking this movie out of the list that i i gave you uh, you know, it's funny because, one, I love Alexander Payne. I don't think okay. there's a movie I didn't like from him. And two, it's funny because I recently watched it when you gave me that list. Like, I had just freshly watched it, and I, I loved it. It's Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's a film. It'll be a fun discussion because it's a comedy, and, and there's a lot of... There's just a lot to talk about because of how creatively it was made. So I knew it was going to be a fun discussion. Nice, yeah. I... I haven't seen this movie. I've seen a handful of his films. I had seen Sideways. I think it was my first movie. I'd, no, it was The Descendants. I'd seen The Descendants first. I cannot remember how I saw it, but <laughs> I eventually saw it on Blu-ray, whenever it was. And then I think I went back to Sideways. I watched that. That was good. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've seen from him. I didn't see Downsizing. Um, hey, you're not missing much never mind okay, I did yeah not, i did not like downsizing i just lied for no reason because i didn't think of that movie uh downsizing that one i did not like i thought it's a bit pretentious i don't know i i could tell the message he was going for when it came to global warming but the execution was very very bad however watch it for hong chow that's all I yeah no I, I that's that's what i heard too it was like i in fact i actually was predicting that year hong chow to get nominated but all it took for her was to do something like the whale which was a much more popular film for critics and audiences alike um but yeah so then uh yeah so he did downsizing which i believe was like a passion project of his and he wanted to do some sideways and hence you know it took him for years to make that movie and then finally did it and you know box office flop mixed reception at best and then he does the holdovers recently which is part of the reason why we're i'm glad you you picked a uh, election uh because the holdovers is now out in theaters or at least it will i think it's uh doing a whole slow uh wide release uh as the weeks are going by and uh yeah so that's that's part of the reason why uh, we're we're doing this and i'm like I said, I'm really, I'm really glad that we're 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 going to be discussing this film in general because I I have some interesting thoughts on it to begin with. So as you so you said before, like like you had said, you would uh, was it you already seen the film before you would enjoyed it. Uh, I hadn't seen it before. This was my first viewing, um, and I'm glad to report, I guess, that I I enjoyed it enough. I thought it was a, a it was a good movie. And one that I personally enjoyed. Um, I will say that at times, it, it, and I know some of it was very intentional with the way that Alexander Payne is presenting the story, but at times it did feel a bit uncomfortable for for me, just because, you know, especially with the whole uh, teacher having a uh, relationship with, you know, uh, Reese Witherspoon's character, Tracy Flick. And then with the whole, uh, you know, you know potential affair that uh uh our main character uh, might get himself into so it was one of those where i was like okay yeah this it, it, it's a little bit much i will say but i'm i but i like i said but you know it's you know sometimes you got to get out of your comfort zone to you know try to appreciate new things in life um movie wise i should say yeah. watching movies not that um so yeah, but at, at, but when it was over, I was like, okay, I, I, I appreciate it. And if nothing else, watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff for the making of the movie they did, because I saw some of the bonus content on Criterion, it made me appreciate 
what they were what the filmmakers were trying to do and again just doing a fun quirky dark comedy with a bit of a bite to it for sure and it's something that like i said i i appreciate it i'm really i really enjoyed um maybe not fall in love with it as much as everyone else did though um if i were to rewatch it again maybe because i i now know what i'm kind of getting myself into on a rewatch um but as as it was, I I enjoyed it as a whole. Good. So, out of curiosity, though, were there uh, uh, any like standouts for you from the film? Uh Reese Witherspoon easily, especially at such a young age, she kills it, man. It's especially the way she carries herself in the movie. She is so so bratty. My God. Mm-hmm. She yeah. was just easily the best part. Um, I also really liked uh, Matthew Broderick, and it he he just adds so much to the character, and I it was perfect casting. I have to say, perfect I, for me at least. Yeah, he he fits the role enough. Um, the uh, <laughs> yeah, he he's definitely one that he he's not really the the like uh, my favorite actor in the world per se, but he he's done a couple roles where he's like, okay, he's actually. He fits the role like Ferris Bueller. He fits that really well. Um, it was funny because I think it was my, I want to give a quick shout out to Miles Hughes, who was on the podcast before uh, he mentioned he had just seen election for the first time this past week uh, or uh, how, however long it was. It was mentioned on uh, awards radar. He finds it's funny how Matthew Broderick's playing this, you know, the anti Ferris Bueller because it, you know, with him in the shower, uh, you know, him, you know, he's essentially him playing the like uh, uh, the, the the teacher who was what uh, was it? I, 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 Einstein, not Einstein. Um, who the hell was that guy? Uh, the. I, I cannot remember for the life of me what the hell his name was. He was in the movie. He was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and he's the one who's like Bueller. Bueller. Oh, him. I, um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, like him, that, the, you know, he's playing that character, you know, he's, you know, it's very much like the, uh, this is his, like, you know, you know, Matthew Broderick never had a day off and, you know, was very much a curmudgeon, um, boring character, so to speak. And so that's why it was like the anti-Ferris Bueller. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a good choice as to why <laughs> you, you pick him for the role. Um, but yeah, and Reese Witherspoon, yeah, this was definitely... Uh, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of Reese Witherspoon's performances outside of her Oscar-nominated work with Walk the Line and Wild, which she's pretty good in both. Yeah, I'd, I'd say maybe th- this might be my favorite of hers to begin with because she's very, she, you know, the, the thing about playing this character, and I'm not sure if you're going to agree with me on this, is it's tough to play a character this whiny and uh, very, like, uh, uh, you know, over overknowing without being too annoying like we want to feel compassion for the character we want us to feel bad for her at some point because you know her being in a relationship with an older man and then her you know you know you know still thinking you know never thinking it was a a bad idea to begin with or i guess in her eyes um okay with um it it you kind of feel bad for the kid because she was manipulated and brainwashed by an adult to be in this relationship um and yeah and that's something i'm like ah okay that's interesting again the way that alexander payne paints that in the movie um yeah i again i was not, that definitely caught me off guard when that happened i was like uh what's going on here <laughs> like yeah, uh, no, especially that his excuse was uh the teachers was like but she likes my book even though he didn't you know he didn't even write the thing but the yeah. fact that she liked his like idea was enough for him to like justify it. Cause I guess he was kind yeah. of starving for like a different kind of attention. Yeah. But it's like, and, my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we'll probably get more into it a bit later, but the, I, I loved how she, well, there were two scenes with, with Reese Witherspoon. I really liked one was the way she was being directed to jump up and down like a pogo stick when she finds out from uh, one of the students that she's won the election by one vote. And that was great in terms of like Reese Witherspoon having that energy in her. And when you, you need an actor like her to display that, you know, charming and and an affection for, you know, very naturally and who's very bubbly. And she does a great job with that. 
And the other scene I loved was when she saw uh, Paul. I think it was uh, uh, was it Paul? I believe uh, the the Chris Klein's character when she saw her his posters hanging up in the the hallway, and she just starts tearing it down. Mm-hmm. And then she has all these like blisters and you know bloody marks on her on her uh, on her like palms and whatnot. Uh, I thought that was that was pretty great. And and then she just takes them all out and puts them in a bag. And and just you know drives away to the industrial uh, plant you know garbage almost like she and and I love how it's framed and and shot like she murdered someone yes <laughs> and and then and I I love that I thought oh that's perfect you know you're you're shooting this and framing this almost like she murdered someone and then she's disposing of the bag and then you see uh, I think it was uh, Tammy it was Tammy uh, from a distance seeing this all unfold so I thought that was great I I just love it because. Uh... <laughs> It, it was just, I don't know how they came up with that, because that is just funny how uh, it, it was basically her doing murder, is how it was framed. And, uh, God, I wonder, um, what I really wonder is uh, how they really came up with that kind of idea. Like, if it was Alexander Payne's idea to frame it like that, or it was originally in the book, because I never read the book. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to read the book either. Um, I, I, you know, I, you know, usually when, when I do these kind of things, uh, I actually, I think I've come to think of it. I think this is the first episode I'm doing where I'm covering an adapted screenplay alone, adapted screenplay nominee. I I'm pretty sure it is. Cause if that's the case, then yeah, I, I, I okay. Yeah. I just, I probably didn't know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I didn't get a chance to read the book, you know, cause like when, like I usually do with these episodes, I watch the movie usually a night or two before we record. Um, and it's kind of, you know, for me to grab any kind of source material prior to it, unless if it's like a really small, like, like, you know, the Brokeback Mountain uh, source material where it's like a short, it's like a poem almost. Um, but yeah, I don't know how, how it was from the, the book in terms of that aspect of it, like how they deliver that scene of her throwing away the posters. But I do know that they, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, they did change the ending of the film. Um, so the original ending of the film, which I think was on a couple of like work prints, uh, for like VHS copies and, uh, the, was it the work print ending involved, uh, Matthew Broderick. Have you heard of this ending or no? I, after I saw the film, I read about it, but I, I know for a fact there was an alternate ending. I, it didn't play well, right? Like when they test screened it. Yeah. So essentially what it is for anyone who isn't aware, Matthew Broderick, does not move out of the Omaha uh, area and doesn't go to New York city. Instead, he becomes like a used car salesman and decides to, uh, and ends up seeing Tracy out on the lot and tries to sell her a car. And eventually they reach a point where they talk to each other. You know, he tries to give her advice on things and she ends up asking him to sign his yearbook. And it's essentially this way of realizing maybe these two characters who are very flawed in their own ways can actually find some sort of uh, uh, like a conclusion to their own world, so to speak. And while it, it kind of, I, I'm pretty sure that was in the book. Uh, it doesn't really fit with what the, the film is trying to go for uh, tonally because the tonally, like I said, it has this bite to it and it's, uh, it's very funny and it can be very, very dark in terms of its, some of its humor. Like I said, the, underage uh teacher relationship even with matthew broderick having those images of him trying to uh get his wife pregnant uh things like that it's like okay yeah that's very much not in line for the tone that they're going for um i I am if nothing else i'm kind of curious in seeing a little bit more of tom parada's work because i think he's had some of his work either been adapted in the past or because I, I yeah so I'm, I'm reading here right now he's been nominated for little children with todd field where he co-wrote uh a version of, he co-wrote the script with todd field and adapted his uh, i believe his own book from it and i'm looking through to see if there's any other stuff he's done um uh, Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was someone else then. But yeah. No. So I. I. Yeah. So I'd be curious to know a little bit more about Tom Parada's, uh, material because I. I'm not really f- all that familiar with his stuff. This is like the first thing I've seen him had any hand in doing, even though he didn't write the script. 
but his source material was used for the the film. So yeah, I'd be curious to see what kind of style he has going for as a whole with his work. Um, but as far as as far as the the election film goes, I'm glad that they changed the ending because yeah, like as you said, that didn't test well. They switched it out for the ending that we got, which is Matthew Broderick is you know barely coping by as like a uh was it like a museum guide expert? Yeah, like uh, and you know I especially love the ending where uh. <laughs> I think it's like well, I think it's like the final scene where he's like doing the tour and he's yes. like any questions and he sees like a girl and uh, it reminded yeah, me of Tracy. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, that was good. And I was like, oh yeah, this this yeah. ending cycle of like you're never you know, like that. That was a good way to end it because and I <laughs> and I love the uh, the part where I think it was Jim Taylor or Alexander Payne. One of them thought of it. It was like, well, why don't we have uh, Matthew Broadwood just throw the 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 drink at at her in the car um because you know in the ending he sees tracy flick with a senator uh across the street and she ends up going into his car as like an uh an aide or uh an you know representative with him uh talking about you know talking about political plans and then yeah he just gets this gets this whole rage of like you know blaming all of his frustration onto her and I thought that was I thought that was pretty funny. And then he just throws the cup, car stops. He's like, "Oh shit!" And he just starts running. You know, that, that was that was good. I thought, okay, that was that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I'm looking through my notes. Uh, oh, the other thing I wanted to comment about the opening of the movie because we we start off with Matthew Broderick's character who is doing his whole run and he does his whole, uh, you know. Uh, morning wake up uh, stuff. I I really liked the composition they had cinematography wise, like in terms of the you know not you know not necessarily the lighting, but more of like how it's framed, and even the way that they use a fair amount of jump cuts, especially with her trying to overdo the like extending of the the tables when she does her own class president, uh, you know, campaigning so to speak. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool and. You know, and the film uses, you know, for a film that's like under two hours long, it moves by like a steady rate. Mm-hmm. And that's I, I would say that's probably one of my my uh, my complaints with the film a little bit is that for a movie that's an hour and 46 minutes, it does feel like it slows down at times. And obviously you're going to go over four characters. And we should also mention that, you know, there's a the Chris Klein character. There's also the Tammy uh Metzler uh, character who was played by I'm looking up who it was. It was Jessica Campbell. Yes, Jessica Campbell, who is no longer who is unfortunately no longer with us. Rest in peace. Wait, what? Um, yeah, she. I found out the other day she actually died uh, three years ago. Um, I oh. was, which I was not aware of. Uh, I looked up what what was her cause of death, but. Uh, it wasn't publicly reported. Yeah, she died at 38. Um, oh my god! Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I was shocked too. I was like, really? Holy crap! Um, <laughs> yeah, and it the only kind of like major roles that she had done. She got nominated for uh, debut performance for election from the Spirit Award, which but she didn't win. Um, she had done a couple episodes on Freaks and Geeks, and she retired in she retired from acting in 2002. And became a uh, uh, was it naturopathic uh, practitioner, um, and then yeah, she died uh, December 29th, two thousand twenty. So what the hell? Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, it's it's a shame because I I I would have been curious to see what her acting career would have been, um, because she did a good job in the role. And the other actor I want to bring up is Nicholas uh, D'Acosto, uh, who was on shows like Masters of Sex, Gotham, Heroes, and The Office. And he was also in a lead role for Final Destination 5, in which he was a... Uh, uh, yeah, he was, the, he was the kid in any... In case anyone's wondering, he's one of the kids who did the counting. Um, the one who, had, uh, who went with uh, uh, Matthew Broderick into the, the headmaster principal's office. And, uh, yeah, when I saw his face, I was like, huh, they look familiar. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't too sure of like who that was, but I was like, okay. Yeah. So the, yeah. So, it, but yeah, no, everyone, everyone in the cast did a pretty good job. I thought, and 
I'm looking through my notes to see if there's anything else. Oh, the other thing I was going to say was I love the way they used freeze frames for the movie because I thought, you know, usually when you do freeze frames, it's very, you know, generic or uh, stereotypically used. But I loved when, as she was trying to explain the whole moral and ethic uh, debate or discussion, like she does this like twitch in her eyes almost. (laughs) And then it, you know, it freeze frames on her. And I thought that was great. And even just the way they use it throughout the film, I thought was, was pretty good. Oh yeah, and and the other the other comment I was gonna make about Reese Witherspoon because I I think she has she's got some great one liners. Uh, she says, and if you try to interfere, you know, talking about Matthew Broderick's character, and if you try to interfere, the same thing's just gonna happen anyway, and you'll just suffer. And I'm like, damn, what a rope. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just looking through to see if there's any other notes. Oh, the other thing I was gonna comment, I'm not sure if you noticed this. Because I I I um I think we had talked about before we had, uh, started the call that you would I assume you had seen the holdovers uh mm-hmm. before. Did you notice that this and the hold this election and the holdovers had at least one shot where there was like a Dutch angle? I'm not sure if you noticed that because there's there was one quick shot in this film where uh nicholas is accusing matthew broderick in the principal's office and the dutch angle is like this way <laughs> and I'm like what the hell and then i and then i, I remember because i remember the holdovers he did that i'm like oh that's a weird way to frame you know because he's because in the holdovers essentially it's just you know paul giamatti talking with divine joy randolph while she's cooking something uh in the morning and then you know i was like oh okay that's weird but okay whatever <laughs> And then I see election. And I'm like, wait, he did it again. Okay, I, that's I didn't even notice that. Wow, um, I didn't even notice either until you brought it up. Yeah, it was it was odd. Yeah, that, that <laughs> I, I it took I don't know. Maybe I'll have to rewatch some of Alexander Payne's films because I maybe he has a couple in there that I just was not aware of. Yeah, uh, I did like in terms of editing too. I like the smash cut to. Uh, Tracy crying in uh, her bed uh, was in her bed with her eyes out after uh, Chris Klein asked Matthew Broderick at the restaurant. Do you think uh, Tracy's going to be okay? Oh yeah. I think she's going to be just fine. <laughs> and then she's like crying her eyes that out was like a little kid. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And even with, with her mom coming in, like t- giving her the medicine and, and water. And then right as she's trying to get some sleep, she's like, you know, maybe it was the fact that you didn't campaign too much with those posters. Maybe that's why you didn't win. And I'm like, wow, what a little bitch. I know. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but it, yeah, no, I just I thought that was really funny. And there was one comment I wanted to make that I did not know about until after the movie was done. There's a sense of irony that Jim, who's you know, the Matthew Broderick character, he's trying to teach moral and ethics to class and eventually breaks both of them by uh, trying to cheat on his wife's friend uh, and then rigging the class presidential election. And it's funny when the how the bell rings when she's trying to explain both of them. And once the bell rings, uh, Tracy doesn't is trying to explain the two of them. And, she, and he's like, OK, that's it for class. Bye bye, guys. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that's it's funny how it it. You know, like, I don't know if it's, you know, that was uh, it's probably intentional, but that sense of irony of like, huh, you're trying to teach moral and ethics and you're trying to have her, you know, she's the know it all. She's trying to, you know, tell everyone what it is. And it's almost like he's kind of zoned out. He just doesn't want to hear the answer being taught upon him himself. You know, I really Um, that's a good point. I also really love how Matthew Broderick, at least for me, he offers a. Con, uh, contrasting a perspective on ambition and uh, morality because he's really a walking hypocrite, you know? Yeah. He, and I, and I, and I think that's why I mostly love his performance even more because it is, he is so unlikable. He, he, he you can't root for him like at all because he's real. I mean, at first, when, at the, when the movie starts, at first you're like, wow, I like this guy. He's a hard worker. But then as the movie goes on, you're like, when given the chance, he does a lot of bad things when he's given the option. Yeah, and the reason why, I think part of the reason why he's not considered such a bad person at the beginning is because there's someone even worse than him, which is <laughs> Dave, 
who has that relationship with Tracy. Uh, and once he's sort of kicked out of the picture and it's like, oh no, okay. So Matthew Broderick was just another Dave just hidden inside. It's just a different kind of way. And, you know, and that he is this horrible person. And thing is, um, they make it like, don't they make it clear from the beginning that he's always like, was in, was in love with his, his, his friend's wife. Like they make it clear from the beginning. He's yeah. like, she, or he doesn't deserve her. Like, how could he do this to her? It is. They make yeah. it very obvious. And there's always, there was little signs there that he, that he was going to go on this uh, dark path despite it being a comedy his life my god it is <laughs> very dark yeah and you know and it's it's funny yeah because it's very much like you know even even with him uh realizing that tracy is won the the election it's like he could have just easily let that go and we wouldn't get this whole avalanche of a of a fall for him but the moment he decides to say, you know what, I'm going to make sure this other guy wins, <laughs> you know, this like monotone delivered jock with like a uh, like a uh, like a what do you call it? Like an air cast almost, <laughs> you know, I'm going to let him be the one and... to, to win the election. Um, and yeah. And, and the other thing, the other comment we I don't think we even brought up at all during our conversation is the film is very much clearly trying to be a satirical political film, so to speak. In that it is at least the the novel was inspired by two of the following event, the two key events, which were the 1992. Uh, the first one was the 1992 U.S. presidential election in which Ross Parrott entered as a third party candidate, a move echoed by Tammy Metzler and the 1992 incident at Memorial High School uh, in Wisconsin, in which a pregnant student was elected homecoming queen but staff announced a different winner and burned the ballots to cover it up. Uh, so that's the kind of the inspiration into the book. I'm pretty sure that like the manuscript that Tom Parada wrote and kind of ties into this too. Like it is very much a, you know, satirical take on that, uh, you know, election. And you could also consider that even to nowadays no. um, because I, you know, even some of the commentators commentators on the behind the scenes stuff, they were mentioning this was back in like 2016, how some uh, women within the political party could consider themselves a little bit like a uh, Tracy flick, so to speak, um, you know, with that persona. And uh, the other thing I was going to mention too, in regards to some of the, the choices they did, I like the, uh, the music that they did when, when uh, like she sees Paul, uh, you know, running for, uh, for campaigning against him for against her. I thought that was great. I was laughing my yes. ass off about that. That was funny. And she has this like anger in her eyes. Uh, and you know, and- like the, the soundtrack, especially it, it contributes a lot. It, it just contributes a lot to the atmosphere and the story overall. It contributes. I, I just, I just love it. And, and like you said, that scene specifically where she sees that he's running against her, that my God, <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought I thought that was very funny, and uh, like I said, yeah, it's just it's just a really like it's a solid movie that has uh, some really good writing by Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor, and there's a reason why these guys. I'm pretty sure both of them had worked together uh, for a couple of years. I'm looking through their filmography. Actually, I'm going to look through Alexander's filmography right now. Oh, uh, uh, I they worked on About Schmidt together. They did. Uh, Wait, Alexander. Yes, uh, yeah. I did not know Alexander, Alexander Payne, Payne made that movie. Well, yeah, Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor wrote that script. Uh, I also remember too because that had won a Golden Globe for screenplay, uh, but it was not nominated at the Academy Awards that year. Um, oh wow! In fact, they didn't. They didn't it, actually screenplay wise. They didn't even get in anywhere. Period. But yeah, I'm looking through. Uh, so they worked together on about Schmidt sideways and then they teamed back up for downsizing. But I wonder if downsizing was part of it was just because of them uh, writing it over the years as they were doing other projects. Uh, and I'm looking through here. They also had a hand in writing a draft for Jurassic Park three. And I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Which um, that is. You blew my mind. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Huh. Uh, and then they had they had like an uncredited rewrite on Meet the Parents. 
So hmm. interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so now yeah, so they've worked together before. Um I know Jim Taylor was a producer on the Descendants as well. Um, but Alexander Payne only you know, he had he didn't co write it with Jim Taylor. He did write the Descendants with Nat Faxton and Jim Rash. Um and yeah, the rest is history pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, I like I said, yeah, I you know, if we're we're gonna be going into our, our final thoughts on the movie itself, then we'll get into the awards section real quick. Um but as far as uh you know, do you have any other final thoughts you wanted to give on the movie? Well, I mean I just I I just love how this was also a good uh, acting showcase for Reese Witherspoon. Uh she mm-hmm. really portrayed Tracy with a lot of nuance and her character we see her grow though not not for the best at times but she she does go through a lot i also love the movie overall i just feel was very clever in the way it was structured and how we see multiple perspectives so that way it's not just this is how he sees it or this is how she sees it we see it from four different views and i think that was really uh done well and I love Alexander Payne's uh, use of dark comedy, and he adds a lot of complexity to the movie overall. And it for for a comedy, he he just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, he does. Uh, you know, he, he's he's got some funny bits in. Uh, what was it? Uh, Sideways was one. He's got some really funny bits there. And uh, and yeah, some of the descendants and even holdovers, there's some funny bits. I know he didn't write the holdovers, but he did direct it. And there's some funny comedic banter there, too. I thought was was quite good uh, directing wise. But yeah, no, he's also good here with with comedic angle with the, the comedy. The There's one there was if I could mention real quick and then we'll get on to the award section. There was one shot I thought was really great. And it was the way that the focus poll was done where she asked uh Tracy asked uh, the teacher played by Matthew Broderick's character, the, you know, you know, would you like a cupcake? And the way that the focus pole moves from her face to the cupcake, when it says pick flick (laughs) on it, I thought that was really great. And I, and I, I love that. And I, and it's funny because I think on the, on the criterion version, that's the, that's the, like the cover art of the, the front of the, the Blu-ray is like a a cupcake that says pick flick. And I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty good, uh, summer, you know, like a, a good like um, uh, idea of what what you're in for with the film, and it, it's a very you know comedic, uh, very funny at times, uh, uh, political uh, comedy, and yeah, just it does the satire pretty well. Yeah, and uh, um, Tracy especially, she the way she's written is that she is such a good representation of relentless like, you know, a relentless pursuit of success. And as you could tell, she, I guarantee you, she'd kill someone if given the chance to succeed because just the way she is. And, and I, gosh, she's, her character is just written so, so well. You could tell there's a lot of passion in the writing. Yeah. And, and she does a good job with the role, as you said, uh, with it. And I, I think this was also the same year that Cruel Intentions came out as well. And then I think like a couple of years later, or maybe it was like, yeah, no, it might've been a couple of years later. She did Legally Blonde. And then eventually she got her Oscar for Walk the Line. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that this definitely put her on the map. And actually she was even in. It's like the year before, I think she was also in a movie called uh, Pleasantville. And she was with uh, actors like Toby McGuire, uh, William H. Macy, uh, Joan uh, Allen, and uh, uh, the late Paul Walker as well. Uh, but yeah, I'll have to rewatch uh, Pleasantville in the future because it's been a while since I've seen it. And I remember enjoying it a lot for what it was. So I'll have to rewatch that. Um, <laughs> anyways. So, yeah, uh, so before we get, we get going, I just have a couple of awards questions to ask you regarding with the film. Go ahead. Uh, would you, outside, you know, did you think this was worthy of its lone screenplay nomination? And assuming I, I think, you know, I, I can kind of guess where your answer is going to be, but 
why exactly did you think it was like deserving if you think that that's the case uh first of all yes i uh i think it was very deserving to be honest i don't think it was uh i think alone screenplay now was more than fine i don't think it should have gotten any acting nominations as i've heard a lot of people say they said it should have gotten reese witherspoon a nom i don't think so i i thought she was good but not oscar worthy but i i just love the screenplay is just really genius and it's the way it's structured a lot of multiple perspectives it's a really good uh screenplay and adaptation and it's i also love it's a very good observation on human behavior and in that itself enhances the storytelling so i i just love it yeah he um uh what was it um yeah, it, it, I'm 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 really glad for the adapted screenplay nomination for sure. I I don't know if the Academy would have gone for this kind of performance though, um, because I keep thinking to myself, you know, even looking at the lead actress lineup alone with someone you know on the top of my head with Meryl Streep for Music of the Heart and Annette Bening with American Beauty, which was like a Best Picture frontrunner. And then you had this like transformative performance by uh, Hillary Swank and Boys Don't Cry. I don't know if the Academy would have gone for that performance though with Reese Witherspoon because it's such a it's kind of like a tight cat you know lineup to begin with, and it's not really the type the type of performance that they would go for. Um, I'm looking through here uh, Janet McTeer for Tumbleweeds, which was like an independent I think it was an independent film. Uh, yeah, yeah, very independent. So it was like three hundred thousand dollars. Oh wow! Um, for tumbleweeds, and then the end of the affair, which was a box office flop, but it was like a romantic drama, and it's directed by Neil Jordan, who had won an Oscar before. And I'm uh, looking through here. Uh, it's based off a book by Graham Greene. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's kind of a tough it's kind of tough to get in for that kind of performance for the Oscars makes me wonder if not to jump ahead, but it makes me wonder if Jeffrey Wright is all that safe for a lead actor. If that's the kind of performance they're going to go for, if that's the kind of performance he's giving um, when they usually give it to like a lot of showier performances. We'll see. That's why um, I mean, that's why I have a missing, but a, hey, you know, the Oscars do change over time. So, you know, it's not, it's not impossible, but He's not exactly full-on comedic, like Tracy Flick. He does have tantrums, but he is a very... Monk is a very serious uh, person. So, yes, even though American Fiction is a comedy, his the type of character that he portrays could get in. When you see the movie, you'll understand. Hmm. I promise. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll be seeing it uh, in, like, December. So. Yeah, but I... Um, trust me, like, the performance he gives, the Academy would go for that. And if, okay. it, and if it gets in Best Picture, he's going to get in Best Actor. I cannot imagine a world where that does not happen. All right. Yeah. We'll we'll we'll, we'll save our th- we'll yeah. save more of our thoughts on American fiction for another time. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that that's pretty much yeah. Like out of all the like Oscar categories, I would say yeah, adapted screenplay would be like the biggest one. I'd say. Um, and I think 1999 that was the first year that the American C- Cinema Editors Guild (ACE) uh, split their categories from drama to drama and comedy slash musical mm-hmm. wow um and i'm pretty sure and it was i i could be mistaken but i think it was also nominated for yeah i'm looking through yeah so election was nominated for the comedy musical category for uh, ace eddies um as they call themselves alongside with analyze this man on the moon run lola run lola run and being John Malkovich, which won the comedy musical category. That was a good win. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen uh, being John Malkovich yet. So oh, you should. It's, I'll get it's, around to it. It's real good. I, I know. I know. Yeah. It's like, it's uh, Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman. So I'll get around to it in the future. Um, But yeah. And, and 1999 was just such a great year in, in film to begin with. You know, you have Toy Story 2, American Beauty, Magnolia, um, The Insider, which was really great. And green mile yeah there's just a lot of great ones the sixth sense which was like a box office hit but yeah so yeah don't really have too much thoughts on the awards sen- section of the the film this time around just because like i said it's just 
it was it's kind of obvious the moment you see the movie as to why it got the lone screenplay nomination and why it didn't get much else just because it's just too small of a film and i just even even if you were to expand the lineup of 10 i think there's five other films i think the academy would have easily gone for especially with something like maybe the matrix definitely magnolia uh being john malkovich because it got that director nomination you know it just yeah so you know but but that's okay you know he he got the he got the screenplay nomination that's good enough and alexander payne and jim taylor would go on to win their oscar like i said for sideways so they're okay so that's pretty much that uh unless you want to add any other comments uh before we sign off no i just love the movie (laughs) all right awesome Well, I just want to say thank you again, Roberto, for dedicating your time to being here on the show. Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to plug in uh, for our listeners, for where they could follow you along? Yeah. Uh, my Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox are all the same. It's the Club Ortiz. I mostly post my reviews on Letterbox and Instagram, as I said before, but, you know, if you want to read, uh, read, that's fine. I just, I just do it for fun. I don't do it to for any following i just do it because i it's very uh it just makes me happy just to uh, write about the movies i see and you and you do see that in my writing i at least i hope so yeah no i i do you know there i mean there's a reason why i i i'm very uh selective with my choices so you know um but yeah no i i figured you know why, why not have you on the show um but yeah so yeah as for me as always you could follow me and the show through Linktree under at Matthew995, where you can follow along on all my social media platforms, such as Twitter and Letterboxd. On the same site, I provide a link for where you can listen to more episodes of the show. And if you're interested in being in the hot seat, let me know, and hopefully we can arrange that happening soon. In the meantime, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope to see you at the movies. Take care, guys. Bye.